0: The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 945 or 1130 a.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. All right, so we've been in this series called Grandpa's Campfire Stories. Sorry, I got lots of stuff up here today. Um, that is not a trapper keeper, for those of you who are wondering. Um, we've been in this series called Grandpa's Campfire Stories, and what we've talked about is the life of Abraham and how his life is kind of a series of these campfire stories that your grandpa might have taught you and ways that you can live your life better, maybe grow closer to God. And one of the things we've been doing through this series is we've been sharing our staff pick of the week. And that is the thing that a certain person on staff, this week it's me, pick that reminded them of summer when they were a kid. Now, you may have guessed what the staff pick of the week is because when you came in today, you had a baseball card on your seat. Now, I'm going to call some of you out. Some of you are looking around for a better baseball card. Okay, there are no hidden Mickey Mantles out there. There is one Nolan Ryan rookie card, but it's up here. But baseball was always about summer for me. And I love all kinds of sports. Um, You know, not soccer because that's not really a sport, but (laughs) sorry, sorry, that that wasn't supposed to be out loud. Um, I love all kinds of sports. I'm a hockey guy, baseball guy, football guy. I do like soccer. I like all kinds of sports. I'm just a competitive guy and I enjoy that, but baseball is the summer sport. You know, the other sports kind of bleed into summer, but baseball is the one sport that continues throughout. It's the sport that you run out with your friends on summer days and play with. It's the sport that you can pick up anywhere. And the thing I love about baseball is that baseball is, is to me, the ultimate team sport. Because from what I can remember or what I can come up with, there is no stat in baseball that is individual. And you might say, well, wait a minute, time out. What about, like, batting average? Well, here's the thing. If you know anything about baseball, batting average doesn't have to do with just how good you are. It might have to do with how good the person batting behind you in the lineup is, because you may not get any good pitches. It has to do with maybe how how good the people in the field are, because you know the difference between an error and a hit could be judgment call. You know, you might say for a pitcher, it's ERA, because that's a very individual stat. But let's let's be honest. How many of you have seen a no, how many of you have seen a no hitter where it didn't have some amazing fielding play that kept it alive. I mean, there's been like four no-hitters this year, and everyone has this incredible play in the field that kept that no-hitter alive. So, I feel like baseball kind of represents that whole team idea. So, today you get a free baseball card. I brought with me today my pri- one of my prized possessions. This is a 1968, the year I was born. I'm 46, for those of you that are stopping to do the math. haven't had a birthday yet this year. Um, this is a 1968 Topps baseball set, complete. It's got all the cards in it. This is something my dad and I put together. Pretty big deal for us. And in this fancy case is the prized possession of that 1968 set. There's actually two of them there's a Roberto Clemente rookie card, and there's a Nolan Ryan rookie card. It's got a fancy case, too. This case costs like $5. But this has always been my, my prized possession for a couple of reasons. Number one, I love baseball. And number two, my dad and I, as I was getting older, when I was young, I played baseball. When I was getting older, that kind of didn't happen anymore. Um, but the way I would enjoy baseball is we would collect cards together. And my dad and I really got into this when I was in my 20s. And we spent a lot of time doing that and putting these sets together and sorting cards. And you know, I'm a numbers guy, so putting things in order is fun for me. Um, but it was just something that always reminded me of how important baseball was to me. So... I I would encourage all of you today to go home, watch a Marlins game, and appreciate how important baseball is for summer. But I want to talk more about Abraham. Today we're talking about an interesting relationship that Abraham had in his life. Um, You know, many of you are here today and you're here because you've taken a step of faith and you believe in the things that we talk about wholeheartedly. And you come here today because you want to learn more about how to draw closer to God, how to make your walk better, how to do what Jesus do. We might, does, we might say. But some of you are here today and you're like, man, I don't know about this whole Bible thing, this whole Christianity thing. I don't know, it's, my friend got me to come, and um, I, don't, I just don't know if that's my thing. And that's okay. We're glad you're here. Because I hope that today you'll get something that doesn't have to necessarily be about Christianity, but might be a principle in your life that will help you no matter what. Now, I'm going to share with you several things that will draw you towards Christianity, but I hope that today you'll hear something that no matter where you stand with God will be useful for you. So today we're going to talk about Abraham. And let me just back up a little bit and do a couple of disclaimers. Um, I'm going to In this, these particular scriptures, we're going to be talking about Abram and Abraham, same guy. But it just so happens that In the middle of a couple of these scriptures, his name was changed. God changed his name to Abraham. So whenever we say Abram or Abraham, we're talking about exactly the same guy. And you'll see, as a matter of fact, today, some of the early scriptures call him Abram. The later scriptures are going to go over and call him Abraham. That's because they overlap when his name was changed. Also, his wife, Sarai, was her original name, is now called Sarah. And her name was changed. So those are all interchangeable. So sometimes I say Abram, sometimes I say Abraham. Just hear me saying the same thing. I have trouble keeping it straight. But in the scriptures today, you'll see two different things. But today we're going to talk specifically about Abram's relationship with Lot. And Lot was Abram's nephew. And the interesting thing about Abram and Lot is that they had many, there's many different stories that kind of take us through the relationship between Abram and Lot. And each of those stories have some very interesting, sometimes tragic, sometimes hard to digest details to them. But I want to look at it a little bit different today. We're not going to get into the individual stories so much. Is I want to look at the big picture of what their relationship looked like. Because what I want to talk about today is I want to talk about how Abram in his relationship with Lot showed us a biblical method of leadership. And I think that's something we all need in our lives. We all need to be able to lead better, no matter what your role is. Maybe you don't lead at work, but you have to lead at home, or maybe you lead here at West Pines, or maybe you lead a club, or maybe you just have a mentorship relationship, but all of us need to learn how to lead better because all of us are leading someone. So I think there's some interesting lessons as we look. So we're going to kind of move through, there's a lot of narrative today, there's a lot of scripture, and we're going to move through it for the sake of looking at kind of an overview and not really digging in so much to each individual story. Now I will hint at some of the individual stories because I think those are important and I think you will see that. So Abram's Lot's uncle, that means Lot is his nephew, it's his brother's son, um, and Abram and Lot, at the point we jump into the story here, Abram and Lot have found a lot of success. They're Very successful. They're like what we would call today very successful businessmen. They've done well. They've got lots of things. Um, they've been very, they've been very um, successful in their businesses. Their family successful. They're both doing really, really well. So we jump into this first text. It's in Genesis 13. If you want to turn there, we're going to put it up on the screen. But in this first text, we jump in right at that point where they've achieved this success... And they're trying to figure out what to do because what has happened is they've both achieved so much success they don't fit anymore. So imagine they've each got a pile of gold coins and the box is too small to hold them both. Except back in that day gold coins was like cattle, you know, pastures, those kind of things. So they've each got this, have amassed this huge wealth but it won't fit. So we jump into the story right where they're trying to figure that out. And it's become a little bit of a problem because their herdsmen as they're called have started to, to fight a little bit. They've started to wrestle over the territory. So they sit down and they try to figure out, okay, how do we deal with this? So let's look at at chapter 13, verse 8, and let's see what happens. In verse 8, it says, Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right, or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. So Abram's saying, okay, here's the deal. We don't fit here anymore. We've got all the space, but I'm going to let you pick. Now, understand that Abram is the elder person, and he's obviously serving as a mentor, in a mentor relationship in, in Lot's life. So he could very justifiably say, look, Lot, here's the deal. I'm going to go over here, and you go over there. And that would be fine. Nobody would be frustrated. But he says to Lot, he goes, you know what? You pick. You pick where you want to go. Let's read on. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the Garden of the Lord, which is referring to the Garden of Eden, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. I'll tell you more about that later. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east, thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now, it's an interesting verse that pops in here. Now, the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So what we have happen here is Abram says, all right, Lot, um, we we need to split up a little bit. So you pick whatever you want. Well, Lot, being human, says, I want the good space. So he picks the good area. Abram says, absolutely, no problem. Well, that's Abram actually displaying what I believe are the first two principles of biblical leadership. Number one, humility. Abram showed humility in not saying, hey, I'm going to decide where you need to go because I'm in charge here. He said, you know what? Let me put myself aside and let me let you decide. And then he ser- showed the idea, the, numbers, the second idea is serving others. He allowed Lot to take the better place. Thank you. He allowed Lot to take the better place to serve others and I think that's so important as we're leading people. Now, the second interesting point here is mentioned in that last verse and I think this is, Really something that we really have to really look closely at. The last verse says this. It says, now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Now, why is that there? It seems kind of random. Because then the following verses go on to something else. I mean, it's just kind of inserted in there. Well, here's why I think that is. I think this particular verse reminds us of what I believe is the third principle of biblical leadership. And I'm going to call it the fence principle. I made that up. You can use it if you want. The fence principle, and here's how it works. Abram said to Lot, he said, you know what, pick whatever area you want. Now, Abram, being a wise older man, a grandpa, knows what the best place for Lot to go is. He can probably see what's going to happen. He knows what's, what's best for Lot and his family, but he says, you pick. Now, when he sees him pick, he sees him pick an area that's right near a very corrupt area. But he says, you know what? I'm going to let him go. I'm going to let him make his own mistakes. And that's what I call the fence principle. And here's how it works I had somebody really pretty wise share this with me one time. The fence principle of leading people works like this Let's say you have a pasture full of cows, okay? Um, and let's say it's your job to be responsible for the welfare of those cows. You have a couple different options. One is you could take each cow and lead him around all day to everything that he needs, food, water, remind him to go to sleep. You could just lead him around all day to everything he needs to do, taking him to every part of the pasture. But what's the problem with that? You would have one good cow and a whole bunch of other cows because all your time would spend with that one cow. So the idea is with a herd of cows is you put them in a pasture and you fence it in. So you give them... A place to roam and some freedom, but you give them boundaries to roam in that place, and that's how they learn. So a, a wise person once told me, so that's how you lead people is you, you, give them a, you give them a fence to roam in, and then as they learn to, to operate inside that fence, you kind of move the fence out a little bit as you need to. So I think this is what Abram's doing with Lot. He's saying, all right, Lot, you pick your space. Lot picks the best space. Abram goes, okay, not what I've done, but what I would have done, but okay, not going to jump in yet. Lot decides not only to pick the best space, but to settle right next to an extremely corrupt society. And let me just say this, Sodom, if you're not familiar with the story, um, some of the most heinous, horrible acts in history happen in that town. Um, You know, we won't get into the details, that's a whole probably sermon series, but there's some really bad stuff going on there. So, he sees Lot, he's like, okay, Lot, you picked a good space, I would have been a little more humble. let the other person have that. Now you've chosen to settle right next to those people that are going to draw you into something bad, but he says, you know what, I'm going let him, to let him learn, I'm going to let him learn. So let's see what happens next. So, we move, so the next, we move into the next section, and this next section starts with a complicated narrative about war. And it's in chapter 14, and it's basically several different battles and how land changes hands. One of them is a battle between five kings who have banded together and four kings who have banded together. So it's very complicated, and there's a lot of words in there that I can't pronounce. So we're not going to read all of that. Um, But I'm going to tell you this is the result of that. So many wars happen. There's a lot of strife, a lot of battles. And then the end result comes down to this. Look in chapter 14 at verse 11. Chapter 14 of verse 11, it says this. So once all the battles are done, this is what happens. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions, and went their way. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Ashol and of Anur. These were allies of Abram. It's all complicated to tell you who went and told him. Somebody went and told Abraham what was going on. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Now, let me just stop there for just a second. 318 men doesn't seem like a lot. Okay, but understand in this time that was a pretty good sizable army. They didn't have hundreds of thousands of people in typical armies. These were small battles, small groups. So 318 men is pretty good. So verse 15 says, And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. So what happened? Sure enough... Abraham knows what's going to happen. It happens, Lot gets in trouble. He's chosen a bad place to go, similar to how sometimes we watch our kids pick the wrong people to hang out with, or a friend decides to start dating somebody that's not the right person, but sometimes they have to kind of learn that on their own. And sure enough, Lot gets in trouble. Now, some of you might at that point say, and I've been tempted to say at times, you know what? I warned him. He's going to have to figure it out. That's how it works. It's the consequences of bad decisions. But I think Abram shows us something different. Abram sees this as similar to the whole idea of herding the cows. Let's say you got your cows grazing. Uh, one of the things you might do is you might install an electric fence. They'll hopefully learn on their own from that. But let's say you have your cows grazing and one of them has gets pregnant with a calf and has trouble with their delivery. You're going to go in and help that cow if there's a medical issue or... Maybe one of the cows just its not eating properly, so you're going to help them with that. So you don't just throw them all in the, in the field and go, well, the good ones will survive and the other ones won't. That's not how a good shepherd works. So Abram hears what's happening. He says, I can't just leave him out there. Yeah, he made a mistake. This is his fault. He shouldn't have been involved with those people, but I'm responsible for this person. So we've got three things so far. We've got show humility, serve others in the fence principle. And I think Lot, I mean Abram then demonstrates this fourth thing. We have to protect them. We have to protect those we lead. It's our responsibility. We can't just set them up, let them go, and walk away. There's more responsibility in leadership than that. Now we're going to come to the next part. Those four were pretty easy. Those four, I mean, you know, that's not not hard. Display humility. That's a hard one, but it's not unintuitive. Serve others. Defense principle. Everybody can remember the cows. Keep the cows in the fence. Help them out. And protect them. So none of those things are really that hard to understand, but now I think it starts to get very difficult because those are all things that I think can be somewhat instinctual. But as we go into this, second, this next part of the narrative, um, I mentioned before that the people of Sodom and Gomorrah were very wicked. I mean... I'm not going to spare you the details, but very wicked. Let's just go, they're bad, bad people. So what happens is they are so wicked that God decides he's going to de- destroy the entire, both cities. He's going to destroy all of them. So Abram hears about this and realizes, wait a minute, Lot's over there. If God destroys them, he's going to destroy Lot too, and I'm responsible for Lot. What's going on? But it's God, so I, I, I don't really know if I should get involved but then I think he displays the fifth principle. Let's look at Genesis 18, verses 23 through 33. Genesis 18 says, Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteousness, righteous with the wicked? So he's saying, God, are, I know those people are bad, but you're going to kill the righteous people too? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. So Abraham goes to God and he goes, God, you can't do this. You're going to kill good people with bad people. If the, would you just bargain with me? If there's 50 good people in the entire place, would you spare it? And God says, yes. Now, I think we know God knows what's going to happen. So Abram goes, oh, thank goodness. And then he realizes, okay, wait, maybe there's not 50. Let's look at verse 27. Abraham answered and said, behold, I have undertake, undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. So he's getting very humble. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. So he's saying, suppose there are 45 righteous. Will you destroy this whole city for a lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. That's God talking. Again he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. God answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Abraham's starting to get going now. Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there? And then God said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. So he's taught God down to 20 righteous people. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Now, how many of you have had this conversation with somebody? I would like to have this. Okay, you can have that. Well, can I have this too? Yes, you can have that. Um, can I have this too? Yes. You can have that. Um, One more time. Can I have this? (sighs) Yes. Surely they're not going to come back. Wait. One more time. So he says, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose ten are found there. And God answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. So he's looking for ten righteous people in this entire area. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham, Abraham returned to his place. I think now leadership begins to get difficult because I believe the fifth thing that Abram is displaying for us is intercessory prayer. It's praying for those. Praying for those we lead because often we do the first four We can humble ourselves, we can serve others, we can set boundaries for them, we can protect them, but then we feel like we're done. But if we're not praying for those that we're leading, we're kind of leaving out the important stuff. And Abraham is forced to do that because he realizes, I can't stop God from doing what he's doing, so my only option is to pray and talk to him. So we figure, okay, great. He prayed, all worked out. God agreed to find 10. I'm sure, there's got to be 10. I mean, come on. There's got to be 10 righteous people. I mean, you got Lot and his family. That should be 10, right? Well, let's see what happens. So, in the next part, God sends two angels to determine if there are 10. Two angels enter the, the uh, area, Sodom and Gomorrah, to determine if there are if there are enough, if there are ten righteous people. Now, I'm going to, a little spoiler here, there's not. Okay? But let's see what happens. Because if you're Abraham, let's say that God sends the two angels, and they come back and they find Abraham and they go, hey, by the way, there was only eight. You're like, oh, man, so close. Like if Sarah and I had been there, that would have been ten. We could have made it. It's like despair. Lot's going to die. I've done everything I can. I've, I've led him. I've given him boundaries. I've protected him. I've saved him from these armies. I've interceded with God for him. I've begged for his life. And at the end of the day, there was only four righteous. So what does chapter 19 say? Let's see what happens. Chapter 19, verse 15 says, As the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men, that's the angels, seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, very important phrase, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills lest you be swept away. And here, God displays the most difficult part of leadership. Because we've talked about serving others, displaying humility. Displaying humility, serving others, defense principle, protecting people and praying for them. What we haven't talked about is what may be the most important part of this, and that's trusting God. We have to trust God for the outcome. That's the most critical part because at the end of the day, God comes through for us, right? He doesn't always do it like we think he's going to. I mean, Abram had a plan. He's like, let's try this. Didn't work out. I got it. I got it. I'll fix it. I'll save him okay, that didn't work out either. Let me go to God. I'll talk to him about it. I got him down to 10 people. That's got to work. There's got to be 10 people there. That didn't work out. And you can imagine his despair and then God swoops in and says, it's all right, Abram. I got it. He does what I like to call Romans eight twenty eight in the situation. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Romans eight twenty eight says this. There's a little underlined part I want you to read with me. And we know that for those who love God... Read this with me. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Because here's the honest thing. At the end of the day, we have to trust God because ultimately he wants the best for us. Collectively. It's not always individually. That doesn't mean you get to leave here and God's going to give you a Mercedes. That's what you really want. Or a Jaguar or whatever your favorite car is. Or give you back your baseball skills, what I've been hoping for. But it does mean that God is always watching out for us, and he trusts us. So let's see what Genesis 19.29 says. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. So at the end of the day, God remembered Abraham. He remembered Lot. So what are the six things? Number one, display humility. Humility. Number two, serve others. Number three, the fence principle. You could also call that the cow principle, if it's easier to remember. Number four, we have to protect the people that we lead. Number five, we have to pray for them. And number six, we have to trust God for the outcome. Now, here's the final piece of this, which I think is very interesting. To me, it was very curious that God chose to play out this narrative between an uncle and a nephew. Why such a ambiguous relationship, right? Why not? Why not maybe like between Abraham and Sarah? Like what would that look like? I think he gave us this picture through Abram and Lot as an uncle and a nephew because he wanted this to be applied across our whole lives, and he said you can't take that uncle nephew relationship and put it in a box. They were businessmen. They were family. There was a mentor relationship. There was an elder-younger relationship. He kind of covered all those things. He says, what if the story had been about Abraham and Sarah? What if this had been a story about Abraham and Sarah and all these narratives were about them and how he led Sarah? This would have been a marriage talk, right? This would have been about how do you have a good marriage? Now, I think it applies to that. Here's how it applies to that for me. Demonstrate humility. Admit when you're wrong. Serve them. Serve our mates. We need to serve each other. Each other, not one way. Build fences. Give our spouses room to be themselves. Not this fantasy person that you were planning to marry. Because newsflash, you're not the fantasy person they were planning to marry. (laughs) Protect them. That's an easy one. Pray for them. Hmm, forget that one sometimes. How about pray with them? And then trust God to show us how to love them and to protect them. This could have been a story about Abraham and his son Isaac. Then it would have been a parenting parable. We would have put it in that box. And it might have gone something like this, because this is the way that we teach our kids to be adults. This is one of the toughest parts about being a parent, displaying humility. Admit when we are wrong. Can all the kids close your ears for a minute? Parents are sometimes wrong. Serve our kids. Model that servant leadership. The third one may be the most important. Give them fences. But they have to be fences that they can grow in. They can't be so tight that they don't learn how to be on their own. And you can't just knock the fences down one day and send them out there and hope it works out. You got to uh, gradually move the fences out and prepare them. Protect them again, easy one. Pray for them. Do we forget to do that sometimes? Pray for our kids? Not just, hey, I'm, I pray that Nick will have a good day and stuff, you know. Like, specifically, what are you praying for your kids? Are you praying for their spouse, their future spouse? Mm-hmm. Are you praying for their profession? Are you praying for their character? Are you praying for their emotional health? Pray specifically and then trust God. This is the hard one, especially with kids. You've got to give them a little space, but you've got to trust God to take care of them because we can't always be there. What if this was a story about Abram and one of his herdsmen? Then it would be a professional leadership parable. Well, how does that apply to our profession? Well, number one, humility. Understand we don't have all the answers. Nobody does. Serve them. Help those we lead. Not just direct them, but help them. Not just tell them what to do, but help them get there. Fences, very important. I think this is such an important management concept. Give people room that they're ready to deal with. Let them grow into that, and then expand it. Protect them. It's our responsibility. If you're leading somebody to protect them, Pray for them. Whoa, wait, i got to pray for people I work with that work for me? Yeah, I mean, who would, why would you not? Pray for their souls. Pray for their family. Don't just pray that you can lead them well and that they'll do a good job. Pray for them. And then sometimes you got to trust God. This could have been a story about Abram and some protege, some mentee, and we would have said, "You know what? this is a great story for men to mentor, men, 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 to, men to mentor men and women to mentor women. But it wasn't. God gave us this picture through the lens of a relationship that we couldn't put in a box because He was saying, "This is how you lead." Big picture. not how you're married, not how you parent, not how you raise your kids. So here's what I would ask you today. Who's your Abraham? Let me give you a couple of things to think about. It doesn't have to be one person. You can have several Abrahams at the same time. You can have different Abrahams in different seasons of life. My Abrahams, both my grandfathers were Abrahams in my life. My dad um, has been and still is an Abraham in my life. Um, The people that I used to work for in the business world taught me how to run a business, which has been very valuable to me coming into the vocational ministry world. They were Abrahams in my life. They're no longer in my life, but for a season they were Abrahams in my life. The pastors who originally introduced me to this idea of ministry and challenged me to consider it, even after I laughed at them, they were Abrahams in my life. Who are the Abrahams in your life? And when's the last time you said to them, Hey, thanks for being an Abraham in my life. Now, if they're not here today, they probably don't know what you're talking about. You'll have to explain it. But when's the last time you said thanks? Sometimes Abrahams are for specific areas of our life. Like, sometimes we have a work Abraham, and then we have a parenting Abraham, and we've got a marriage Abraham, and we've got a church Abraham, and a spiritual Abraham, and that's okay. Because those are the things that help you hone yourself in those areas so that you can answer my next question. Who is your lot? Can't just be running around spending time with Abraham. You've got to spend some time with Lot. And it shouldn't just be one lot. Because here's the thing. God's gifted you specifically with something whether it's a certain category of knowledge or talent or ability. And he's done that not just so you can enjoy it and not just for him, but so you can share that. So if you're good at something, share it with somebody. You don't have to tell them that they're your lot. There's many lots in my life that probably don't even realize they're lots. There's some people that actually serve both categories for me but it's important that you spend that. And here's why I say that. Number one, I believe that's what God's called us to do. Number two, I feel like you become a better Abraham the more you try to help the lots. How many times have you heard when you teach something, you learn it better? And I find when I have these conversations with people, I find myself talking to them, but actually talking to myself. Preparing this message. There's things in here I don't do. I came up here to Abraham you about this topic and I'm kind of preaching to myself too because there's things in here that I don't do that I'm like, man, I've got to do that. Just yesterday, I was like, okay, I've got to change the way I'm thinking on this. Who has God placed in your life? Because he'll do it. Now, be careful. If you ask for it, he's going to do it. So be ready. But who's he placing in your life? Now, let me tell you the other part of this. You don't necessarily always get to pick. He may have placed someone in your life that challenges you, but he may be trying to teach you something in the process. I remember I had a youth pastor when I was growing up, and he said something to me one time that's always stuck with me. He said, when somebody does something that annoys you, take a minute to make sure that's not something you also do. He said, because often God puts people in your lives to serve as a mirror. I was like, boom. I'm like 14, I'm like, oh. But I, now every time I do that, when somebody does something, I'm like, man, why do they do that? It's so annoying. I go, oh, wait. Sorry. I, I do that too. But those relationships grow us. All right, so back to the beginning. told some of you that are here at the beginning that maybe you're here and you don't completely believe in this Christianity thing, and and that's okay. We love you here at West Pines. We want you to come because we want you to to hear more and more about this idea. But the tough part is if you're here today and you haven't taken that step, then steps five and six are going to be very difficult for you. Praying for those you lead and trusting God are going to be very difficult if you've not taken a step initially to turn your life over to Him. And the cool part about the idea of turning your life over to Him is that it's just not complicated. It's actually almost too easy, at least that part of it. It can be complicated as you go through it. But maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, you know what? You're right. I've been doing the first four steps. I kind of been doing that. And but I want to I wanna have those last two. I want to be able to trust God because that I want that peace that comes with trusting Him. And I would say to you, if that's you here today, I'm gonna lead you in a short prayer. It's all it takes, is a prayer. It's a prayer to surrender your life to God and to make Him Lord of your life. So I'm gonna ask everyone that's here if you would to bow your heads. And while all heads are bowed, if you're here today and you're saying, I want to finally take that step. God's been tugging on my heart. Or maybe you came here for the first time today and you're like, wow, this is where I need to be. Then I want you to pray this prayer after me. Pray it silently in your heart and God will hear you. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm not capable of doing it on my own. I know that I can't save myself, but I know that you have given me that opportunity. You've sent your son, Jesus, to sacrifice himself to take the penalty for my sins and to save me. And Lord, I just want to claim that free gift. I just want to accept that, Lord, and I want to thank you for that. Lord, I thank you so much for doing this in my life I'm excited about what the future is going to hold and Lord I'm turning my life over to you in Jesus name Amen Thank you for listening For more resources and to check out other teaching series please visit our website at westpines.org If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching please call us at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org